Hello. This sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So, if you are not a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We are glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Hey, good morning, church. It is good to see you. I'm, I'm Eric, one of the elders on staff here. Vince, who's our normal preaching pastor, he's back next week. And listen, we're going to start the book of 1 John next week. So that is going to be a brand new book that we're going to study through. If, if you would like one of those journals to keep notes during the sermon series, they're on a table right behind the black cur- curtain, right behind the black curtain right there. You can pick one of those up. I think they're three bucks or something. So journal's back there for next week. Um, do you know why we're here? Yeah, we're going to worship. We want to see God reveal more of himself to us, don't we? This is, this is a gift that we get to do right now. This morning is a little bit of a different morning. We, we take time each fall to take a little bit of a step back and ask two questions. Where are we going as a church, and how are we going to get there? Our vision and our mission. We normally take a book of the Bible. We just work all the way, all the way through it. We're going to start that next week with 1 John. This morning is reserved for taking a step back and looking at our vision and mission. Essentially, our understanding, this is what it really is. It's our understanding of a church is what makes up a good, gospel-centered, Jesus-believing Christian church. That's what we're going to hear this morning. It's a broad, backed-up view of what we mean by the town church being a Christian church, both in who we think we are right now and also more who we want to more fully become. So I, <laughs> I am going to provide an insanely quick overview on this. We're just skimming the surface. That's a ton of information to cram into one week. Some, some years past, we'll take one week each for vision and then for different pieces of our mission. And so if you want to hear more development of this, you can go listen to our podcast back from 2018. Vince walks through each piece of it. And we also have a foundations class coming up in October 3. That's for people interested in possibly pursuing membership. And we'll walk through all of this more there too. So October 3, you could attend that class. We'll go a little bit more in depth. So this is going to be very fast. And in many ways, I, I apologize for that. I realize this is very, very fast. But if you've been around a while, I hope this is an encouragement. A reminder of who we are as a church and where we want to go more fully. And if you are new or newer with us, hopefully this gives you a good flavor of who we are and if this could be a place where you could see yourself connecting or not. So mission and vision, but then I also want to introduce something brand new this morning that we've been working on, the elders and some others have been working on for a number of months. I want to share a framework we've put together for a comprehensive strategy for our spiritual formation. How do we grow? How do we mature as Christians by the grace of God? So, our first two questions are right here. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And then this third question, how are we spiritually formed? That's what we're going to hit this morning, hopefully in about 30 minutes or so. All right, here we go. Question number one, where are we going? In other words, what's this big picture of the future that we as a church would love to see come about? Get this. This picture is not unlike... What Paul describes in his letter to the book to, to the church in Rome, that he says all of creation is groaning for. This is what he says in Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Get this. All, I, I don't completely understand this. All of creation is groaning for a full restoration from sin and brokenness into freedom, to renewal. The Christian life, along with all of creation, is one of eager anticipation and the hope for a future filled with full and complete restoration. See, history is going somewhere under the sovereign hand of God, and we as a church long to be where it's going. This is how we've summed it up in this graphic, our vision. Oops, sorry, I went too fast. We've summed it up like this. Our vision is to see the gospel transform everything. It's a big job, isn't it? That's why we phrase it. We want to see the gospel transform everything. Here's how Paul describes the gospel, which literally means good news. Again, from the book of Romans, chapter 1, this is how he describes it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. You see, the gospel this good news is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. Sal- salvation from what? Like, we need saving? This is essential for us to know. It's the good news, but it's good news only because it's, there's bad news, right? Here's the bad news. You and me and everyone else is born into sin. Everybody. In fact, we just naturally choose sin. It's what we do in And because only one sin is enough to eternally separate us from a perfectly holy and good God, we have a problem. We all sin, so we have a problem. The problem that due to our sin nature we can't fix, it's one that destines us for eternal separation from this good God. So we are in desperate need for good news. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. By sending his son Jesus, God himself, did what we never could. He made a way for us to be restored back in relationship with him by sending his son Jesus who lived the perfect life we never could and then literally took our sin upon himself, died the death that we deserved, and then rose again forever breaking the power of sin and death. He took our sin so we can have his perfect righteousness. The greatest exchanges the world has ever known. That is the good news. It's the power of God for our salvation to everyone who believes. Salvation from sin, salvation from death, salvation from eternal separation from our good God. It's also bigger than just a one-time event, isn't it? It's active both in the past and the present and the future. Think about this. If you're a Christian, this salvation has happened in the past. We've been saved when you trusted Jesus to save you. We are also currently being saved in the present tense that as God shapes our hearts over time, as the Holy Spirit sealed us for the day of redemption, and we will be saved in the future when Jesus comes again and fully renews everything, completely, fully renews all things. You see, the gospel has, is, and will be, and will continue to transform all things. God is at work right now. But just because our vision is to see the gospel transform everything, which is God's work, that doesn't mean that the church, that we, the townships, don't have a role in that. Need our mission attempts to summarize the role of the church and seeing the gospel transform everything. This answers the second question. How are we going to get there? 
As a church, we have four components of our mission. They're represented by these four icons on here. We'll start from the left, head to the right. There are also those paintings around the back of that AV booth wall when you walk in to remind us of this, of what our role is. To see them all in one place, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to, take a, we're going to look at a picture of the early church. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a table in the back corner that has a bunch of Bibles on it. You can feel free to grab one. If you don't own one, take that one home. Acts chapter 2, toward the end of the chapter. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is shortly after Jesus rose from the dead. He stayed a while, taught his disciples, and he ascended back to heaven. And the Holy Spirit has now been given to all believers. Now we have a picture here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42. Now, I'm not saying the early church was perfect. We're going to look at this description. It's, it's a pretty glowing description. The early church had a whole lot of problems, as we see in Paul's letters. But I think this picture is helpful for us. All right, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves, this is the early church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Look at this. This is the early church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to eating together, the breaking of bread, which certainly included at times a celebration of communion. They were praying together. In other words, the early church were intentionally worshiping together. This is the first element of our mission is to worship God in community. That's what the megaphone is representing, worshiping God in community. It's the first piece, the first piece of our role in wanting to see the gospel transform everything. What we are doing right now is a gift to us from God. It, it's ingrained in how God designed the Christian life to work, isn't it? Christianity is not a faith of detachment or isolation, but it's one of inclusion and gathering. In fact, even what we're doing, having gathered together in a space together, is a picture of the gospel. Because we who once were also detached and isolated are now gathering together to worship the God who's brought us together by the blood of his son. The town church embodies the gospel as we worship God in community in hopes of seeing the, the gospel transform everything. This is the first element. All right, the second element. Sorry, I told you we we're going to fly through this. Second element, starting in verse 44 through 45, you can see it there. Notice what these relationships were like in the early church. They knew each other well enough to know what needs they had. And then they sacrificed what they had in order to love each other really, really well. This is the second element of our mission is to love others. This is represented by the heart icon, to, to love others. This is an essential mark of the church. It's a second piece of our mission. John, in his first letter, which we're going to start looking at next week, in chapter 4, he tells us what it means to actually love others, that we follow in God's example, who did not withhold from us his very son, but sacrificed his son for our behalf. And get this, God did that even while we were still his enemies. Gave us his son when we were his enemies. 
This is our example. It means that as we love others, including our enemies, we are emulating Jesus himself. Loving others is a way the town church embodies the gospel as we seek to see the, the gospel transform everything. It's our second element. And the third flows right from this, flows right from loving people who are not only just inside of our church, but also outside of our church. Verses 46 through 47 describes it. The worship of the early church resulted in engagement with those outside the church. Their worship wasn't only for their own benefit inside, but positively affected those around them outside, even to the point of God choosing to use them to save people. We've summed this up in, in our role of the church as a third piece of our mission as engage the culture. It's what these gears represent up here. They represent us engaging the culture. To the people each one of us interact with, whether it's at home or at work or at school or wherever it might be, is largely unique to you. Like, I'm not there where you are. You're not here where I am. We have unique relationships. So might God use you where you live, where you work, where you rest, where you play, in order to save people? I think he might. He does, doesn't he? We see this as the pattern of Scripture. God, I don't understand it. But God chooses to use us, use people to save people. As God and Jesus engaged the people in the culture of first century Palestine, as God engaged all of us in our unique stories to save us, if you're a Christian, so we engage the people and the culture of Fort Collins in 2021. This is the role of the church, the third element in our mission to see the gospel transform everything. Our final element of our mission flows from this third As God uses us, uses our engagement with people outside of these walls to bring them in, the church has an explicit role in sharing the good news of Jesus and helping to grow believers from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. In other words, the church engages in evangelism and discipleship. We have phrased this as seeking to make disciples. It's the Bible icon up there. It represents a seeking to make disciples. This point is made explicit in what Jesus had to say that came to be known as the Great Commission. This is out of Matthew chapter 28, 18, uh, verses 18 through 20. Jesus has rose from the dead, and right before he ascends, this is what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As a church of Jesus, we have to care about this, don't we? Care about the nurturing and the, and the spiritual growth of people not only here, but also those all the way around the, all around the world. And need to have strategies for this. As Jesus came to us and taught us to grow in love of God, So we then embody the gospel by going to others, encouraging each other to grow in love of God. Here again, this last element of our mission is us living out the gospel. This this vision, hopefully this is really encouraging before I get there. This this vision is absolutely enormous, isn't it? The gospel transform everything. We're talking not just our own hearts, which is hard enough, our own families, our own city. We're talking everything, global, the world. We want to see this transform absolutely everything. And so here's the encouragement for us. It's absolutely sure. This future of full transformation will come about. 
It's as good as accomplished because God himself is bringing it about. So in the meantime, God chooses to use us as we work toward that end, embodying the gospel through our mission. We get to joyfully obey as we confidently trust God with the results. We can't fail in this sense. God's bringing this about. All right, let me share this new thing I want to share with us. It's, it's going to answer this third question, how are we spiritually formed? Until now, we haven't really, we've been around about 10, 11 years. We haven't really had a comprehensive strategy and how we're going to grow spiritually, like guide rails to kind of go on, or is there some, some sort of structure to help with that, to intentionally cultivate spiritual maturity. So because we haven't had that, the elders have worked on this for a number of months to, to try to develop a clear and comprehensive framework to provide some helpful pathways for our spiritual formation, our spiritual growth, so we can grow in living out what Jesus called the great and first commandment. This is out of Matthew chapter 22. He's talking with some Pharisees, and a lawyer walks up and he asks, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? This is what Jesus says. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Our Christian life is all about loving God with all of our being all of the time. How are you doing with that? All of your being all of the time. We, by the grace of God, over time, grow more and more into fulfilling this greatest commandment. God, over time, forms us spiritually to treasure him to treasure him above all competing loves, all competing idols, to treasure him more like Jesus himself treasured him. So when we talk about spiritual formation, we are really talking about growing in our love for God, for God to be more fully our primary love, our greatest love that then orders all of the rest. Friends, we absolutely have to grasp this. The Christian life is simply yet radically centered on the person of God himself. God himself is the goal of the Christian life. Not to become God, but to know and to love him. There's, there's no higher calling. There's nothing sweeter. What are we waiting for? There, there's nothing more satisfying than knowing and loving God himself. Do you believe this? Man, I do sometimes. And sometimes I don't. Just look how I spend my time, my energy some days. That will show you what I actually love. See, the goal is of the Christian life is not to live a more moral life. That's not the ultimate goal, is it? It's not to become a better parent or a better spouse or a better friend. The ultimate goal is not to serve our neighbors well or grow in generosity or better be a better parent or, or, or succeed at a job or, or even to learn how to suffer well. That's not the ultimate goal of our faith. The goal is more fully loving the God we've been reading about all through the Psalms. Do you remember that picture of God we've been reading about? This is the, the only sovereign, good, trustworthy, faithful, gracious, merciful, powerful, just, holy, wrathful, always present, all-knowing, never surprised, never lost, never panicked, never threatened, all-glorious God. This is a beautiful goal of the Christian life. What a gift. We get to know this God. We're invited in to know this God. That's an invitation paid for by the blood of Jesus himself, that we are actually get to be invited in to know and love this God. What an invitation. So when we talk about spiritual formation, we are hitting on a glorious, central piece of what it means to be a Christian. 
to grow in our love for this God. Our love for God is the engine that drives our mission and vision. As our love for God grows, our lives evidence a greater and greater joyful obedience. Joyful obedience. A greater and more joyful participation and mission. In the words of Jesus, our lives begin to exhibit fruit. So the question for our spiritual formation is really this. How does our love for God grow? Simply put, our love for God grows by God graciously revealing more of his glory to us, revealing more of who he really is to us in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, all of his might, all of his goodness. In other words, as God shows us more of who he is, our hearts respond with awe and growing affections for him. How could they not? It is this glory of God that makes Moses' face shine when he comes down the mountain. And takes Paul from being a Christian persecutor to now being a Christian evangelist. God's glory changed them. But notice this. God showing us more of who he is is fully dependent upon his grace alone. This means there's no particular dance we can do to force God to show us more of himself. There's no particular prayer we can pray that will force God to show us more of himself. So how does God reveal more of his glory to us? Well, God certainly uses all of life to this end, right? But the glory of God is most clearly seen in the gospel itself. The gospel is the pinnacle. It's the the epitome and the display of God's glory. This is why we make the gospel central to everything we do here. Our, Our song lyrics, our sermons, our classes, our vision. All right, that my friends, is our theological grounding for our approach to spiritual formation. Here's my definition for this. Try to sum up what I just said. Spiritual formation is the process by which God grows our love for him, which leads to joyful mission. By God's grace, our love for him grows as he reveals himself, epitomized in the gospel and seen in all of life. This is what I believe biblically spiritual formation means. But it's really ethereal, isn't it? So practically, what does spiritual formation actually mean? What's our role in shaping our hearts to grow in our love for God? Well, as, as humans, our hearts are profoundly shaped by the things that we do over and over and over. Our habits, right? Our rhythms, our practices, the things we do over and over and over again. The things we listen to, our podcasts, our news, our music, they shape us over time. The people we surround ourselves with over time, they shape us. The things we read over and over and over again, they shape us. So as we think about spiritual formation, we need to ask, what are those regular rhythms that will shape my heart and mind to see more of God's glory over time? Well, thankfully, the Bible and Christian experience over thousands of years provides us with some essential rhythms to what it means to be a healthy Christian. These are good foundational rhythms for us. We believe there's at least four. At least four regular rhythms are foundational to a healthy believer. Now, these certainly are not the only way we're shaped. So this is, these four are in no way our attempt to say, just these four, this is it, you've got to do this, and you're a good Christian. That is is not the point. But they are Christian norms, so to speak. They are essential primary pillars for our spiritual formation, and they overlap among each other a little bit, but none are completely replicated by another. 
Some theologians call these rhythms means of grace. The way that I think about it, it's kind of like knowing that God often uses a particular window to reveal more of himself when he chooses to us. And so rather than me closing the blinds or closing my eyes or standing on the floor, I'm intentionally going to pull the curtain back and stare at that window depending upon God's grace to reveal more of himself to me. The question then, what are those windows? What are those practical rhythms? Well, the first one is a regular personal devotional rhythm, which includes Bible intake and prayer. I want us to feel the force of us. If you grew up in the church, you've probably often heard about the importance of quiet times or spending time alone with God or those sorts of things. Don't, don't miss the gravity of this. Listen to this. Through the Bible and prayer, God shows us more of his goodness. That's probably not mind-blowing, yet it's absolutely mind-blowing. Through reading the Bible and talking with God, he shows us more of his glory. This is not just a Christian duty that's dry, is it? This is something that God intentionally uses to show himself more of his, of his glory. They're gifts that God's given us, and they're celebrated throughout Scripture. Jesus regularly used them. They're gifts. You know, they're gifts even when we don't feel like it. <laughs> As Christians, we go through seasons where sometimes we feel like it and sometimes we don't. Even when we don't feel like it, when we feel like we're in a desert, when things feel dry, they are still gifts to us. They are gifts that still shape us even at that time. Even then, they are kindling and growing the very affections we lament are missing. Now, there are lots of different ways to get Bible intake. There are lots of different ways to pray. If, if you're feeling stuck on how to read, how to get Bible intake, feeling stuck on how to pray, you're not alone. <laughs> but would you please, 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 please ask somebody you trust. Ask them to help with this. Maybe it's a township leader. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an elder. I'd love to talk about it with you to, to help find some ways forward in that for you. We would absolutely love to interact about this. Over time as a church, over the coming months and years, we're going to be developing more resources to help us in these two rhythms of Bible intake and prayer to be able to, to, to see us grow as a people in these rhythms. All right, the second essential rhythm is this. Regular gathered corporate worship in a local church. Now you'll notice this primary rhythm is also uh, a part of our mission. The corporate worship of Jesus, this is what it does. As we're sitting here today and we're going through the liturgy, corporate worship, at least part of what it does, it reorients our hearts back to the truth of the gospel. And we come out of scattered weeks. And we come back here and we know that we're going to be reoriented back to the truth of the gospel. It's something that isn't replicated elsewhere, what's happening right here. This is a grace from God to us. It's a rhythm God routinely uses to shape the people, his people, sometimes in large ways, right in the moment. It's like shaped. (laughs) But often it's little bit by little bit over a long period of time. You see, worship is not primarily a means to another end. It is an end, isn't it? Richard hit on this last week in Psalm 66. Worship of our glorious God is what we were made for as believers. It's, it's something we do on Sunday mornings. It's, it's really what we do throughout our entire lives. It's what we'll be doing for all of eternity in heaven. We'll be worshiping God. We won't be just sitting on clouds swinging a harp. We'll be somehow in all of our existence, and I don't completely understand this, somehow all of our existence in heaven will be worshiped to the glorious God that saved us. 
Worship's not a means to another end. It is an end. And yet, by God's grace, he chooses to use our gathered worship, like this morning, to reveal more of himself to us. So this is our second common rhythm of how we are formed spiritually, what we're doing right here. Here's the third. Third rhythm is gathered rhythms of Christian community. The New Testament, if, you, if read through the New Testament sometimes and see if you can pick out little evidences of what Christian community might have been like back then. It is filled with evidence that points to believers being in more intimate community with others, other believers, than what is typically happening on a Sunday morning. We read of Christians, listen to this list, of Christians confessing sin to each other, loving each other deeply like Christ, rejoicing and weeping together, bearing each other's burdens, teaching and admonishing each other, encouraging and exhorting each other, and warning each other of sin, among other things. And all of those things assume that we actually know each other. How can you warn me of my sin if you don't know my sin tendencies? Or how can I weep with you if I don't know what you're mourning over? Or how can we share each other's burdens? We don't actually know what each other's burdens are. On mission, intentional Christian community where you're truly known and you truly know other people, where you can exercise your gifts for the sake of pointing each other to the glory of God, takes a lot of time and energy, doesn't it? A lot of work. Typically way more work than we think it's supposed to take. It takes commitment and vulnerability. And we as a church have a long ways to go in this. But we are absolutely committed to doing the work of creating environments conducive to this sort of community. We're making tweaks to our townships for this purpose. If you're not in a township, if you don't have this sort of intentional, focused Christian community in your life, head back to the, to the information table after the gathering. We'd love to have that conversation with you and get you engaged and plugged in. Josh, you do the, the confession of sin. He's the guy also to talk to. He's over this. So we would love to get you plugged in. All right, the last essential rhythm is this, regular doctrinal formation. Doctrine, meaning the things that we believe about God. We all believe things about God, right? We're all theologians in a sense. So how do we form what we believe? I don't mean just learning a bunch of systematic theology, although that, 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 that might be part of it. What I mean is growing our love for God by discovering the Bible's teaching on the core elements of his glory, we seek to better answer the question, who is God? So like the early church that we read about in Acts chapter 2, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, connecting the biblical dots and get a clearer picture of God himself. A friend of mine, he put it this way, he said, doctrinal formation gives us beautiful hooks to hang our Bible passages on. In other words, the biblical formation of what we believe about God gives us categories to better understand God. What do we believe about sin? What do we believe about God's grace, God's love? What do we believe about God's justice? My friends, there are so many competing understandings for who God is and who God is not. It is absolutely essential that we as a church and you as an individual believer are taking seriously and intentionally working through what the Bible actually has to say about who God is. <laughs> To form our doctrine. It might take the form of a good book, a good podcast, a good class, a good sermon, maybe it's a discipleship relationship or any other host of ways. The essential thing is that we're taking seriously our view of God and intentionally developing and expanding it in light of the glory of God contained in the passages of Scripture. 
all the more accurate view of God we get, all the more our love for him is going to grow because that's who God is. He's worthy. He's full of glory. All right. Those are the four essential regular rhythms that we as a church want to develop in the coming years for our benefit of our spiritual formation. I want to point out just a couple of last really quick things as we're digesting some of this. I know it's a lot of information. One, I want to encourage you to please resist the temptation to see these four rhythms as a legalistic set of things you're just supposed to do to become a good Christian. Rather, these rhythms are gifts. They're grace that God has given us to see more of him. So my hope is that these rhythms help to provide some biblical structure and clarity to help us think through our own spiritual health and areas of growth. Some next steps. All right, number two. You'll notice I use the word regular all the way through here. I know there's people in here that want to know exactly what does that mean. (laughs) Is it once a month? Is it twice a month? Is it once a week? I have intentionally resisted the urge to put down a number because this isn't about just trying to do the bare minimum. If I put a number up there, my mind automatically thinks, okay, three times a month I can do that, then I'm kind of set with the spiritual formation stuff. Rather, this is about joyfully partaking in the gracious gifts God's given us to know and love him more. All right, three. When it comes to spiritual formation, a central role of the church of the town church, of the elders in particular, in the coming months and years is to train and resource, encourage and support us in these four rhythms. If these are actually four essential rhythms to what it means to be a healthy believer, then how can we, who are called to shepherd this flock, ignore these or not ask about these or help to develop these in our lives? And part of my personal job over the next coming months and years is to develop this more as well. Part of my job actually is spiritual formation, so I'll be spearheading a lot of that. Lastly, four, because there is absolutely so much here this morning that I did not have time to touch on. We barely skimmed the surface. There's probably a lot of questions that come up, up off of this. I would love to talk more with you. I spent a lot of time in this, and I would love to talk more about you. Questions you have, ways that we can flesh this out more. Um, and I, I, what, what Vince and I talked about doing is every Sunday morning, weekly, throughout this, at least throughout this fall, I'm going to give a quick couple-minute aspect of our spiritual formation, some piece of development to help keep this in front of us, but also give me a chance to flush this out a little bit more on a Sunday morning. All right, please bring me, bring me questions that you have. With the elders, we would love to talk about it more. There's nuances, there's beauty here we couldn't touch on. My hope is this is actually helpful for us. This is not to be a weight or a burden, but actually be helpful structure for us. If you, if you also, if you are here and you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know what we're talking about with the gospel, if this is some new lingo for you or brand new ideas, I would love to talk to you as well. Listen to to where you're at. There is a conversation that will not be more important than that one. So I would love, I would love to talk. These rhythms that, that we talked about this morning are gifts that God's given us so we can see more of who he is. And and think about this, they've been bought for us by the blood of Jesus. The sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus is what makes possible our ability to see more of God and be in relationship with him in the first place. And so we as a, gospel, as a church celebrate this. This is the truth of the gospel. We celebrate this every week as we celebrate communion. This is a rehearsal of the gospel. I'm going to pray. God, I pray that uh, you give us, would you, would you give us clarity 
as individuals and as a church about um, where you're taking us and about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's so many distractions. I feel it. I feel scattered. There's so many reasons to be scattered as well. I, I pray you provide focus. I pray that you would be at work revealing more of yourself to us. Uh, we, we desperately need this. I thank you that you have chosen to graciously reveal yourself. You've, you've given us your word. You've, you've sent your son to be a picture of who you are and your character. You've given us your spirit that resides within us today, convicting us of sin and encouraging us and sealing us and showing us more of who you are. So I pray that the things we've talked to this morning, the, you know, our vision as a church, we believe is from you. Our mission as a church, we believe is biblically accurate. How we're spiritually formed, I believe these things are, are straight from how you tend to operate as well. Would you choose to use these by your grace to show us more of who you are, growing our love for you? Where our love for you overflow in how we live, would it govern how we interact, govern how we use our resources, govern how we engage in our mission as a church and our individual lives? We are fully dependent upon you, and we're asking you to continue to work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've already done to bring us in relationship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.